listening to the Fem Foundry podcast with me, Pips Taylor. Now, Fem Foundry is a new home for womankind around the world. We are a one of a kind global community and we bridge the gap between the professional and the personal. And this podcast reflects just that. This is the Fem Foundry podcast. I'm Pips and I am here with our CEO and founder, Amy. Amy, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, babe. How are you? More importantly, how are you feeling after the other night? Well, you know, just for, for, for those of you who are listening, we went we went out Fem Foundry style and I went out pretty much for the first time, rosy flowing uh, since having Louis. And I was suffering the next day, having a really serious hangover and a three-month-old baby is not the one. I don't think I'm going to be doing it anytime soon. I mean, I'm laughing uh, and I probably shouldn't be, but I mean, I also felt fairly terrible. But um, yeah, my first thought was you and I was like, oh, sheesh. Uh, yeah, the wheels, the wheels came off, didn't they? But um, yeah, it well, we was had a lot a of fun. event, you know, we had, then we had dinner and we had drinks. We just got really overexcited to be hanging out. So and we've obviously had quite a busy time this week with events, but we've got so much going on in the Fem Foundry app this week. Amy, take us down what's going on. There's so much going on. We've got a, um, I would call it like a spring drop coming. We've been squirreling away in the background. So yeah, there's there's loads. We've got some cool stuff coming up this week. We have got some yoga on Sunday. Uh, I love a bit of yoga on a Sunday. Where do you do yoga? Do you do it outside, inside? Uh, I tend to do it inside, but the weather's so nice. It might be quite nice to do it outside. Yeah, I like a bit of outside yoga and just, well, any anytime you can just get in fresh air. It's just nice, yeah. invigorating. Um, and then, yeah, as part of that um, sort of uh, series, Britt's also doing some Pilates. We've also got some meditation going on there, different really times nice. of day. Um, we've got some face yoga coming, which... Oh, uh, I love face yoga. Love Great face yoga. so good for our spiritual health, which is after... The week is is kind of where I want to focus my attention, I think, this week. I definitely needed like a day of face yoga yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got uh, an accounts and legal one. So we've got uh, the first of our accounts and legal drop in coming up, I believe. This one is all around taxation in the cryptoverse, um, really which is obviously very new. Um, and a lot of people, I think, will find that very helpful, sort of, you know, what to watch okay. out for. Yeah. And I think also that it's, you know, this part of the industry is moving so quickly that, you know, we need to kind of know what's going on and how to, you know, interact and behave around it. And, you know, what's what the do's and the don'ts, basically. So that's a really, that'd be a really helpful one. Yeah. And they're all free. So, you know, this is an amazing resource right at your fingertips that you can dive into at any point yeah and obviously you can get the fem foundry app wherever you get your uh, whatever store you get your apps from so please do that check it out we'll see you in there and also this week amy we've got a very exciting podcast guest alia maru is a, a journalist and an author uh, she has written for the telegraph the washington post grazia refinery 29 but she has an incredible book called The Greatest Freedom, which we talk all about today. And the book explores life as a Middle Eastern woman outside the stereotypes. And she sort of, you know, explores culture and identity and all the pressures of expectation around that as an Egyptian growing up in London. So she's brilliant. She's also one of our new leaders. So it's really exciting to welcome her to to the app. Uh, So you'll be able to connect with her there. What I really love about Alia where she tells her story is she also knows the importance of passing the mic and sharing her platform with other voices, which is really what we're all about as well. So uh, she's a brilliant one to have on and I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm really excited to be chatting to you today because you're a journalist and an author and you've written for Grazia, Refinery29, The Washington Post. 
the Telegraph, on so many uh, different things, everything from social commentary to fashion and to lifestyle. And I'm wondering if you always knew that you had a book in you. I think, you know, it's funny for me, and I actually, I don't really call myself a journalist anymore. I kind of say that I'm a writer now. And I feel like, you know, my career has been an interesting one because I've kind of just followed my gut. Um, so as I've sort of, you know, changed and grown and my interests have developed, so have so has the work that I've been doing, basically. And I think for me, you know, in terms of the book, I had I I think I always wanted to write a book, you know, since a very young age. I've basically been writing mostly in order to kind of figure myself out and just realize like who I am and, you know, kind of just get to get to know myself, basically. But I never really spoke about my identity in terms of like being Egyptian and British. And I never really wrote about any of these things as a journalist before. And then I think as I got a bit older and I started to, you know, do more and more social commentary and then also, you know, see the state of the world and rising Islamophobia and just the fact that I could I never saw anything that I related to at all in the wider world or in the media. And I sort of started to feel like, well, what am I waiting for? You know, like, why am I waiting for someone else to, to write this book that I desperately needed when I was younger? Why don't I do it, basically? So that that was how the book came about. Absolutely. And it's The Greatest Freedom. It's a book about finding yourself when you feel like you're stuck between two cultures. Why did you choose the title The Greater Freedom? Because I know that there was quite a lot of thought that went into that. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Actually, initially, the, the book title that I kind of was pitching with was both and neither, um, because I felt like because I'm both, that means I'm neither of those things. And because my publishers are Amazon uh, Little A, which is an imprint of Amazon Publishing, really interestingly, they were like, this is not a good title for SEO, because the words both and neither are in are just such basic words kind of thing, which I had no, I would never have thought of. Um, and then we kind of, you know, I went back and forth with with my editor a lot and we were sort of trying to think of, of what it could be. And the, the words, the greater freedom were in the proposal that I had put together, just like in in a larger sentence. And they were like, I think this is what the book is about. And I was like, yeah, I think I think you might be right. And there was a really great um, quote that's in the beginning of the book. And it says, freedom to be oneself is all very well. The greater freedom is not to be oneself. And I think that kind of really sums it up because I think especially as women, there's so many things that we're told we should be, how we should look, what we should want, how we should behave. Like it's just never ending. And I feel like, you know, the greater freedom is to not need to be those things and to be able to make our own decisions about who we are and how we want to exist in the world. Absolutely. And with the editing and publishing, obviously, this is a really personal story for you. How, how, what, how, what was it like handing over something so personal and kind of also listening back to other people's ideas on it? Yeah, it was really scary. It was really, uh, it was a really interesting experience. I'm very lucky because my publishers were really great and they were very much, you know, supportive and, you know, you tell the story that you want to tell. And that was why, that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to sign with them because there were a few that I was speaking to before and they were, you know, some of the feedback that I got off the proposal, one pub, one publisher in particular was like, oh, well, you know, you're not, you're not really very Arab. Like, tr can you be more Arab? And what? I was like, uh. <laughs> who on earth are they to have an opinion on that? That's Yeah. And so that, I think that 
is in part why I wanted to write the book as well, is to sort of broaden this stereotype and this very reductive narrative of what it even means to be Middle Eastern, right? So I was like, okay, cool. So you're not the one. Yeah. Um, it's a no from me for you. Yeah. yeah, but I was very lucky because they they really got it. And and the editor that I worked with, um, she's worked on a number of Arzu Tahsin. She's worked on a number of brilliant books, including I Am Malala, which was just such an honor to get to work with her. And she really understood it. And I think she really managed to, to get the best out of me because we went back and forth, obviously, on numerous drafts. And she was very good at sort of being like, OK, what did you mean here? Go deeper here. And I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that without her. So I was very grateful. And I mean, the process of writing a book, it's such a massive undertaking and so much work goes into it. But how how long did it take you to... Uh, to write this? Um, I think from inception of the idea to like having the book in my hands, it was about, I want to say two and a half years, but I very much, you know, locked myself away. I didn't actually do anything other than write the book. I hardly even saw my friends. I hardly even saw my family. It really, really took over my life in a way that I'd never felt before. And I hope I never kind of have to do again because it was a lot. Were your were your friends and family supportive of the fact that you were writing this but were they aware of what the contents were going to be? Very yeah I'm very lucky and I always say you know part of the reason why I felt like I needed to write this book is because my family in particular are so supportive so you know I could write about sex and you know all the things that as an Arab woman we're not really supposed to be doing let alone talking about so um, I was yeah very lucky in that regard but I didn't let my family read it until it was finished and like an actual book because I didn't want any sort of feedback in terms of like oh you know th there is this big fear a lot of the time in you know our kind of cultures in terms of like what are people going to say what are people going to think and I'm that's it's a very difficult thing to sort of get past and ignore so I didn't want their worry to infringe on me because it's already very personal and it's already so difficult to do um, but I did interview them so I spoke to my parents and like I quoted them in the book so they did have some kind of idea of what it was that I was going to be speaking about, but they didn't they didn't read it until it was finished. Um, that must have been quite a relief when you did share it with them, because it's, you know, it's, it's quite huge doing that on, on your own without their, you know, without obviously I know you said that we're in the book without their kind of support and guidance. Yeah, it was quite funny because my mom, um, I think, was more nervous because she cares more what people are going to think. And she sort of skim read the book very quickly and then read it again, like more leisurely. And she was, yeah, it was, was quite funny. But it's, you know, it's been really amazing because me and her actually have gotten even much closer now since she read the book. And she, I can see the ways that she's also changed and it's kind of enabled her to get rid of some of the kind of again expectations and stereotypes that she also felt but that you know people of her women of her generation in particular never really felt that they even could do anything about I suppose like it was just so the norm so it's been really lovely to have conversations with her now and with her friends where they've kind of been like you've said a lot of the stuff that we've been feeling but we just thought this was how it was and thank you for giving voice basically to things that, you know, things that we didn't have words for. I mean, with with The Greater Freedom, you know, you describe it as life as a Middle Eastern woman outside the stereotypes. What are some of the main stereotypes that you've come across in your life? 
I think there's two sort of sides of it. And that's what makes it so difficult is there's the sort of expectations from, you know, the West and the kind of broader world, which is, you know, the expectation that like I should be veiled, for example, or that I'm like this oppressed being. Um, And that really bothers me because I'm kind of like, well, the patriarchy exists and is thriving all around the world. So the idea that it would just be one culture is wild. Um, So there's a lot of that kind of stereotype, I think. And then from within the community, again, there is very much this idea that we should be like good girls and, you know, nice to look at. And we should definitely shouldn't be having sex before marriage. And we should definitely be getting married as soon as possible, almost. And, you know, all of this kind of stuff. So I think, again, it's a really interesting one because actually these ideas are more or less ingrained throughout the world. It's just to what extent have we sort of had the space and the awareness and the privilege to um, debunk them and, and potentially live differently. Yeah, and, and it's also to like to take your experience and choose to live differently and also to put your voice out there, you know, as, you know, a voice of a generation, which is essentially what you have become. But you also shared not only your own voice, but you gave light to other uh, voices in uh, and Middle Eastern women uh, across, you know, across the globe. Why was it so important for you to give a voice to other people as well as to have your own? I think two things. One, in like a sort of self, not selfish, selfish is the wrong word, but in a way to sort of be like, it's not just me, because it was so scary to kind of be, you know, so open about these things. So I kind of wanted to be like, especially to my family and stuff like I'm not the only one who thinks this like look there are all these other women too and they feel the same um and then I also yeah because we just have so little and because especially at the time I think in the it came out October 2019 and since then I feel like there has been you know the show Rami Hulu Emmy award-winning show Rami came out there have been a number of amazing books that have come out in the years since but at the time I really felt like there was nothing that I had really come across so I thought you know seeing as I have a mic here I might as well kind of like pass it around and and get some other to get some other viewpoints um into this as well was there anything specifically that surprised you from this the stories that you I suppose discovered on in this book or were they all quite similar experiences that you were expecting to find I think, you know, it was quite difficult because it's very hard when you're writing a book to think, to figure out like how much to include and how much not to include. And it is all a choice at the end of the day. Of course, there's hundreds of experiences that I've had that I didn't include in the book, you know, because there was sort of a narrative that I was trying to tell. Um, And I think with with the women that I interviewed and with the stories that I told, they were all ones that also... um, they weren't super dissimilar to to my story, basically. It was kind of just ways of showing different angles of the same things. There are hundreds of stories that have nothing to do with the one that I've told and that really need to be told. And I hope that they are told. Absolutely. I mean, you describe yourself as, as a hybrid, you know, being both Egyptian and British. I mean, how do you feel sort of after writing the book? Do you feel that it did it help you to explore your identity? I think, you know, it's a tricky one because I definitely feel like I know myself a lot better. So a lot of the sort of questions that I had, I do feel a lot more kind of 
secure about but it's funny because even something like you know my hair is naturally very curly and I have a whole chapter in my book about beauty ideals and how you know Eurocentric beauty ideals are very much um what we're supposed to aspire to and even in my own house my mom would always like get make me have blow dries and you know be like your hair looks so messy when it's curly do you know what I actually found this bit of the book really fascinating because you sp- you spoke of a highly gendered Arab culture and you know saying the hair and the, the manicured and really conf- conforming to standards. Do you still feel those pressures? Well, that's what I was going to say. I do, I do, and it's and and it's difficult to separate. And for a while, when I was writing the book and in the months after, I really tried to kind of embrace my curly hair and and wear my curly hair. And as you can see now, because we're on video, I've got a blow dry. Um, so. <laughs> So I'm I'm back on the blow dries now and I, I do always have my nails done. And, you know, I think I think what's difficult and what I kind of really wanted to do, there was no um, there's no like this is how we should be. And we have to on it, it's choice. Right. At the end of the day. And I think what I really wanted to do for myself and for readers is to unpick the expectations, unpick the things that we're supposed to be doing. And then from there, like you can make your own decisions. I wanted to touch on these expectations, particularly around marriage, as I know that's something that, you know, you speak a lot about is something that's expected of Middle Eastern women. And you've said, you know, I was never the girl who fantasised about marriage and children. It sounded like a jail sentence. Now, having been through the book and, you know, you're a couple of years older, is that still something that you feel? Um, Yeah, I'm working with my therapist on that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working with my therapist on that. But I feel like, again, like around the world, there is this expectation that being coupled up is is the way to be. Um, and that is how we live like a whole fulfilled life. So I think for me, I've been finding really like what I've been finding really interesting is just kind of finding communities that exist and, you know, and live life in different ways and and. You never, again, you never want to do something because you have to. No. And it's also, it's about, it's about having choice and choose, you know, choosing to be, you know, in a period of time. And that's what, you know, that's what you're choosing. You're choosing to be sort of like on your own and, and enjoying yourself. And, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but it's that, I think it's so powerful being on your own and and knowing who you are. Uh, And so many people don't, don't explore that. So I think it's a really yeah. phenomenal thing to a to to do, and then also to talk openly about it. Yeah, well, I think the problem is when we feel like there's only one normal way to live, it can make you feel really um, like really bad about yourself if you don't have those things that the world tells you that you should. So I feel like that's why it's really important to speak openly and to be honest you know about all the different ways again of being because then you don't feel like there's this one norm and if you're not that then there's something wrong with you and I also feel like if if you do feel that then you might be more inclined to end up in a relationship that's not particularly good for you or where you're not particularly happy and you're like oh well this is better than being alone Um, and it's not no definitely not and I think you know it's it's but it's, I think it's, it's it takes a lot of courage to to figure that out and to actually have and to have those conversations and to get to learn yourself and what you know not learn yourself to get to kind of know yourself and give yourself the time and the space and obviously that is a privilege within, its, within itself but it's only going to lead to a greater more enriched life. Um, I want to talk about sex a bit because there are quite a lot of very personal stories in the Greater Freedom. Um, did you worry? 
about the reaction from family and friends on that, for example, with like losing your virginity? Yeah, again, I'm very lucky because my fam- my parents are really like super chill and I'm I'm very good friends with them, I would say. And I always, my, my, everyone always laughs because usually in like brown cultures or like people of color, you have like huge families and you have tons of cousins. I don't have any, I have zero cousins. So it's kind of, I have this term in the book called the invisible jury, which is basically the opinion of, you know, everyone. Um, and my pool of invisible jury that I actually care about is very little, Um, so that was definitely helpful. I was, I was of course a little bit, um, nervous, especially about the the virginity story because my parents actually didn't know that. Um, so that was, that was a bit nerve wracking, but again, I feel like my dad said something really helpful to me before I wrote the book. And I was basically saying to him that I was a bit concerned about all of this stuff. And he basically said, listen, either do it properly and be honest or don't bother. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Absolutely. And I think that's just something that I've taken into my my life and my career so far. I am to a fault, honest. I don't really know how to like pretend and but I don't be think, another way. I don't think that is to a fault. I think it's, you know, it's, you know, when you were wanting to write this book and exploring what it means to be a woman, attitudes to sex are very different, you know, here and, and for example, in Cairo, where I hadn't realised until I'd read the, the, your book that actually it's illegal to have sex before marriage. Yeah, yeah. The, the ideas are very different. And I think for me growing up, because I was born in Egypt, but I've lived in London more or less since I was eight years old. So I think for me, what I found really interesting was the kind of dichotomy between these two things because all my friends here were having sex and losing their virginities very young and you know there was no like no no issue like they it was almost a competition of who could have sex first you know and then in Egypt it was very much like don't get me wrong people are definitely definitely still doing it but it's just very undercover um, one of the things that you mention uh, in your book is the Egyptian proverb, the honour of a girl is like a match, it only lights once. And you quote this pro- proverb in The Greater Freedom. And I want to just talk a little bit about the idea of honour and also the shame of losing it, because I can really imagine that it was like a really one to diff- like a really difficult one to contend with as a teenager. Yeah, it was. It really was, especially because by the time I really understood all of this, I had already had sex (laughs) Um, and I had lost my virginity. And as I write in the book um, to this guy that I called Satan in the book, because, he, you know, he really was a very problematic character in real life. Um, So, yeah, it's a really it's a really tricky one. And then the way that you then feel about yourself, like I remember I used to go home and literally sit in a bath of boiling hot water because I felt so dirty and I wanted to like scrub myself clean. And, you know, you can't basically because that's what the world's told you is that now you're dirty and you've lost your honor. It's kind of society has made sure and it's as you know, has basically prevented us from being able to be open about so many things. Whereas I feel like now this is, you know, across, you know, all cultures, there's this like wave of, of open, honest conversations that need to be had, need to be shared. And 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 people are really kind of, you know, hopefully we're paying it forward for the next generation and the people around us to be brave and to be able to have these conversations and to not feel isolated or alone. hundred percent. I hate the word jealous. I find the word jealous not very nice. But one thing I will say I am jealous about is Gen Z and like the younger generation and how much they know and how much they are 
so much more in touch with their bodies. I remember a few months ago, I wrote um, a piece for Vice, I think it was, on um, this trend that I had noticed on TikTok, which I'm obsessed with. And it was all these young girls doing Kegel exercises. And there was like a challenge, basically. And I just found that fascinating, the fact that they knew what Kegels were, that they were, you know, exercising their, their pelvic floors and posting about it online. Obviously, you can't actually see anything. It's more just like their face, whatever. Um, but I just found that so amazing. And I was thinking, gosh, if, if I had had that, if I had been part of, you know, these sort of conversations when I was in my teens, how much work would that be saving me now? in terms of trying to learn all of these things and unlearn the shame and, you know, all of it. It's it's just wild. We're always going to give a, a fuck. We're always going to give a damn, you know. But to, to truly be free and sort of relating this back to, like, the greater freedom, we really need to s stop giving a shit, don't we? I think so. And I think, again, as women, we're so much raised to be people pleasers. And we're so much raised to kind of carry the burden of like everyone else's expectations and, you know, all of that. And I think that's something that I've been really working on very much the last few months, especially is kind of relinquishing what other people are going to think of me um, because it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And I think one thing that's really kind of deep like dark that's one thing that's really dark about shame is the way that it makes us feel like there's something inherently wrong with us um and i think that again another reason why it's so important to be honest and to have all of these sorts of conversations like the one that we're having right now is because the more different examples we have of how we can live a life and how we can you know the more different examples we have about literally every single thing the less there will be like a one set norm and the less we will then feel shame and that there's something wrong with us for not being that version yeah and what have been your findings along the way with regards to shame has there been anything sort of surprising that you've i suppose kind of uncovered I think one thing that I've been really enjoying sort of talking about and unpicking a bit is this idea that we need shame in order to be good people. And I find that quite like a problematic statement, but I know like my grandfather definitely believes that. And a lot of people think that. And we had an episode about this on, on the Talk of Shame podcast. And, you know, we were saying how guilt and shame are two different things, essentially. And guilt is actually is a useful emotion, I think, you know, in terms of like, not don't treat someone badly. If you do something wrong, feel bad about it and like try learn from it and apologize if you need to or whatever it might be. But again, shame is that there's something inherently wrong with you. And I think that separating those two things is, is really important because at the end of the day, and this is something that I really, you know, I'm trying to do for myself and that I really advocate for in the greater freedom and just in life in general is that we have our own moral compasses and that is really what matters. And at the end of the day, like, you know, even in terms of like law is often behind, you know, there's so many things that are considered lawful and not illegal that are you know, really problematic and really harmful. And I think we see this a lot now with the Me Too movement and how much the conversation is shifting about what is normal to do and how is it normal to treat a woman and can you wolf whistle in the street? You know, all of these sort of things. But actually our moral compasses should be 
better than law. Yeah, yeah, that's actually such a good point. Um, I'm just thinking so for anyone kind of obviously because of, you've done a lot of work around shame for anyone who's maybe listening who's experiencing shame um, you know a, a feeling that they are kind of you know trying to overcome what would you recommend to someone who's you know within that headspace honestly I really think that talking about it with someone anyone is is really important because shame breeds shame you know shame tells us that we shouldn't speak about it that we should be quiet that we should keep it to ourselves that if we tell anyone we're going to never be loved and it's going to be a disaster and more often than not that is absolutely not the case and there is always like I said someone who's gonna have felt the same thing or be going through the same thing and I think as soon as you see that it lessens the burden a bit you know it, it feels less like this dirty little secret that you need to just carry around with you. And it's like, actually, this is, this is often a systemic issue. And again, something that is so much more leveled at women. So as soon as we see that and we stop making it like a me problem, I think there's something really freeing about that. Mm, that's such a, such a good way to look at it. Um, and We've touched upon uh, that, you know, obviously your book, The Greater Freedom, but you also have The Greater Freedom newsletter where you have conversations with uh, your community. What are the most kind of common issues that you are seeing come to light over there? Is there a commonality in themes? Yeah, so the, the newsletter is called The Greater Conversation and it was very much, um, again, because I just received so many amazing messages off the back of the book. And I really just wanted to continue to kind of provide a space where we could further these conversations that that we were having in well, I was having, I guess, in the book. Um, and there's been, yeah, again, I think the, the commonality of things has been really sort of heartwarming and reassuring. There have been a lot of different guest pieces um, about, you know, there was one girl who wrote about, again, like the pressures to, to get married, um, a, lo a lot of interesting pieces about like religion, actually, and sort of coming to terms with um, different ways of being Muslim or, you know, re kind of claiming that that spiritual connection to a greater being which I've also definitely been finding like during lockdown and during the pandemic I was very much like oh my god let me pray because god help us um which I hadn't really done before having that sort of spirituality in whatever form that is is something that I think is really needed and obviously with Fem Fem Foundry we have you know financial health spiritual health mental health and uh, physical health and that, that spiritual health in whatever guise that is I think is really important for us as individuals to have no a hundred percent I think that I love I love that about Femme Foundry as well because I feel like all of these different aspects the, you need them all in order to have like a whole healthy life you can't just focus too much on one versus another and I think you know for me these last couple of years especially is I've been really sort of trying to to touch on all of these different things because I think for a long time you know especially when we're in like this capitalist kind of ambitious society it's all about like achieving and work 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 all the time and I would find it really difficult to take time for myself for example or you know even to go to the gym I'd be like no no like I have I can't and what I found is that actually the days that I do all those other things as well my work also is much better 
you know, my brain is much better, all aspects of my life, like everything helps everything else. And I feel like, you know, there's a real sort of coming of age at the moment and especially with women is we're stepping into our power and we're really starting to connect with it and understand how to use it and how to use it for, for the greater good. Uh, and I feel like your book was very much that 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 journey. And so I kind of, you know, I wanted to ask that, you know, cause I, f I feel like you, you are so visible and you're a role model and you're like stepping into this power. And it's thank you just, for saying that. I no, don't feel like that really at cool. all yet. So I'm like, step, just step in the power. Step into the power. It, it. No, yeah. it's it, no, but it's 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 true. And I, but I think also to be able to, you know, step into that zone, you've, you know, you've, but like, bared your heart and soul, and you know, you've really gone there, which I think is phenomenally brave. Thank you for saying that. I think there's a lot of unlearning that that we all need to do. And it's funny that you say that because step into your power has been the word that has like this phrase even that's just been going round and round and round in my head this year. And I think in order to do that again, we need there's a lot of unlearning before you can do that. And what what do you think you've had? What, what have you had to unlearn that you can share with us? All, all the whole book, basically, the whole book is me on learning, like, again, how all the expectations, I think, of how a life should be, that's, and how we should be, you know, as women, we're supposed to be like, be quiet, and be not like small, and even in terms of like, be thin, be, that's you're taking up less space, isn't it? Um, so I feel like th that's, that's it. That's, it's, that's all the unlearning. Yeah, be smiley, um, and, be, you know, be polite, be, you know, all, all, yeah, you're so right. The people pleasing is one that I'm really still working on. I think that's my main thing for next year is like really just stop caring what people think because until you do that, you're forever going to be burdened by, did I say that? Okay. Oh, does, is this, and no, no, it's impossible that every single person is going to agree with you. Like if everyone agrees with you, you're not actually saying anything. Yeah, then. it's true. It's so true. You need to ruffle a few feathers. <laughs> yeah. So I want to care less about ruffling and yeah. just be like, long may we ruffle. Long. I love that. That's so good. <laughs> um, so as you know, with Fem Foundry, well, firstly, what did you think of the app? Oh my God, I love it. I love it. Honestly, and so many amazing members on there as well. Like people that I want to connect with and, and, and just like see what they're up to and what their views are on things. So yeah, I know I've been really enjoying like rummaging around on it. I specifically think you'll enjoy this. You can grow communities, so you can have private groups on there and then you can grow communities within the app. So we're basically taking on Facebook. Um, <laughs> amazing, and thank create, God. And creating, you know, a really safe space for women and those who identify as being a woman to be able to, you know, grow and connect and thrive. And I really feel there's such a great vibe on there because everyone is sort of, the, the the overarching theme of like paying it forward and genuinely wanting to connect with people is is something that I'm really really passionate about. So I'm really glad that you enjoy it. Um, now, just before we leave, uh, we have a quick fire round, which is um, obviously our our pillars on the app are uh, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, and financial health. So I would love to get uh, a bit of advice from you on what works for you in each of those. Uh, sort of areas I suppose so let's start with physical health okay what works for you honestly I used to be a lazy bum 
And for the last, I want to say like maybe five years, I've been working out like three times a week. Um, I have a personal trainer who honestly, I don't know what I would do without him because even on the days where I really don't want to do it, he's like, you can do it. And then I'm there and I just feel so much better after. Um, so I definitely, I would definitely say like movement as much as possible. I've also been doing some boxing recently, which I've just been loving. And it's such a great way of like just getting your anger out and just like, you know, like you just get, you just get into it. And so how, how do you safeguard your mental health? What works for you? Mental health, I feel like maybe is the most one that I have been like really kind of building towards um, and like by adding habits basically so like i mentioned earlier i don't check my phone the first hour of my day and that is honestly life-changing in itself but then i also do other things so like one of the, the first thing i do every morning my morning routine i would say is like my most important thing for mental health and i i um, do this thing called the morning pages which was uh, uh, julia cameron uh, came up with it in the artist's way and you basically freestyle like three a four pages of paper first thing in the morning and that i have found to be fantastic because it's just like empties your brain of all the stuff that's just like roaming around in there and I found that actually you'll write something and you'll be like oh wow I didn't even realize that and you'll kind of have revelations you you sort of it's sort of like therapy with yourself um so I found that to be really good and then just kind of yeah I think stuff like that like little habits and figuring out what it is that makes you feel good and like doing that therapy of course I would advocate for everyone who can so um what about financial health how do you look after your financial health what's important I'm very, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very like routined and like, I love like structure as much as possible. So I have like literally like four different bank accounts. I have like spreadsheets. So I do, I do a lot of things like, you know, I'll give myself like a weekly budget kind of thing. And then I'll put that onto like my Monzo card and then everything else will be somewhere else. And I'll have direct debits and I have spreadsheets that I do once a month. So I keep a, I keep a very close, um, I keep a close eye, like I know what's happening and what's coming and going basically. And I and I try and just like stick to that as much as possible. That's amazing. Do you know what? I think you're the, what, possibly one of the first guests and we're now on series two to have such an organized approach to financial health. Uh, so I well try, done. I try. <laughs> and then finally, spiritual health. Are you a spiritual person? Yeah, the spirit, spiritual for me is... is um, I've always believed in, you know, a higher power. My family are not very religious, but I definitely had, um, you know, I have some prayers that I kind of do in my head that my mom's been doing with us since we were really young. And I've tried to like keep that as much as possible because I feel like not believing in anything higher is really scary and really lonely and it kind of just makes everything feel a bit like pointless and I don't know I I need it basically so I've been trying to you know in my own ways whatever that means for me basically to get a bit um, more in touch with that side of myself I've actually been doing I don't know if this counts as spirituality but even things like astrology or you know getting more in touch with like my intuition I feel like your own intuition is 
it's actually spirituality in a sense as well absolutely i think also like knowing how to connect with our intuition and listen to it and you know we've in terms of spirituality it falls under everything from like religion to crystals to astrology to uh you know moons and and everything so and i think that you know it's that sort of wellness that spiritual health and wellness is something that we're all connecting to much more because especially since the pandemic because we need to have hope <laughs> yeah you know yeah. Got, uh, yeah to say the least <laughs> yeah exactly oh well I, mean, I think it's quite um sorry to cut no, no. you go on go on I think it's quite it's quite a um, female thing as well in a way you know moons and crystals and spirituality and I feel like part of returning to our kind of feminine energy and our feminine power as well as is reclaiming that and knowing how to reclaim it and where we can reclaim it and support other others in reclaiming it as well um so for those who haven't do check out the fem foundry app because that is what it's all about um alia thank you so much for chatting to me today it's been such a pleasure to chat to you um alia's book the greater freedom is out uh, it is a bestseller it's a very good read uh, so please do check that out and you'll be able to connect with her in the app as well thank you so much